0: This is Comic Picks by the Glick.
1: Hey, I'm your host, Jason Glick.
0: Hi, Jason Glick, what's going on?
1: Hey John. It's like glad it's like glad to hear from you. It's like, and hey, you're not the only one here. It's like, how's it going, Myron? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing tonight?
0: Oh, not too bad. What do you got on tap for us? And why do we have Myron in the room? <laughs> okay.
1: Well, this is like one of those we- this is like a really weird coincidence because this uh, springs st- this the whole subject of this podcast springs. St- like three directly from one the time we went the three of us went to WonderCon about a month ago actually yeah and that
2: was so like a really great time i enjoyed myself
0: yep baby comic con love it all the time
2: comic con without the bullshit really
0: exactly Yep.
2: Yeah. shout out shout out to the woman who
1: cosplayed as samus i ran oh yeah she's been getting a lot of a lot, lot of press lately as i as i showed both of you Yep. yeah it's like and but you know one of the things that actually happened i mean we but all, all we all bought lots of different comics, but we all wound up with um, copies of Detective Comics 1000. I mean, I was there. I th- I picked up a copy of the kind of figured, hey, you know, it's here, and what the hell? And John, I imagine you were kind of thinking the same thing as well. John.
0: Yep. Yeah, the mute button okay. was stuck. Hey, so yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, I did even. I even bought an extra variant cover, which uh, I bought one to read and one to collect.
1: Yeah, and Myron, as I understand it, you just bought more copies of Detective Comics One Thousand.
2: I did because Detective Comics launched that week, and so like, I I I bought. What drew me to it, of course, is one of my favorite artists of all time, Jim Lee. So you know, knowing that. Detective Comics 1000 was going to be a great milestone issue. I bought, you know, my favorite uh, Jim Lee comics, the standard, the standard cover, and the gate, you know, the 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 expanded cover where it had all the characters, including Robin, on that. And I bought the uh, Bruce Tim cover. So my initial trip to the comic book store cost me thirty bucks, but. Going to WonderCon, I was hoping to find more variants and more covers that would appeal to my artistic taste. And of course, I ended up spending like uh, maybe an additional twenty bucks there. But then, you know, after after WonderCon, hitting up eBay and buying additional covers that I was not able to get there, so I spent approximately a hundred and twenty bucks on Detective Comics one thousand.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, as long as you're happy, I just bought the Staronko, um co- cover because you know, hey, it was there. It's so, like I figured, well, this one looks nice. Yeah, I mean, this, this comic
2: book was a wonderful celebration of Batman. I mean, um, the hype being at WonderCon to be able to uh, sit in on the DC panel and just hear about not only the future projects that uh, they have coming about, but what fans liked, what fans wanted, and. They actually celebrated Batman's birthday um, after that uh, panel we left, and just to hear how well uh, Batman, how well celebrated Batman is, not only to the comic book industry but as a pop culture icon, uh, you couldn't help but be uh, whirlwinded into the hype of getting as many Batman comics as you could, getting as many Detective Comics 1000 covers as you could. Um, it's It's been a great month for Batman in March.
1: Yeah, it's like, I just want to point out that, you know, just that as regular readers and listeners of the podcast and the blog will know, it's like, just the fact that I actually went out and bought, like, you know, this single issue. Well, that should probably tell you enough right there. It's like, I, I was sucked up in the hype. It's like, and because, like, you know, they, I got to admit, they, assembled a really um, good selection of um, writers and artists for this, for this issue. And I guess just to start things off i want to say that you know i don't think there were any bad stories in like in this issue i mean there were ones that were just kind of like eh. but overall it's like you know for an anthology i'm um, about batman this the hit to miss ratio was a lot higher than i was, than I was expecting for like for this kind of project
2: yeah and i i agree with you there like touching back on how this book is a wonderful celebration of Batman. We see many different storylines in this book that kind of like touch to uh, many different aspects of Batman slash Bruce Wayne. We see like a, a a darker we see darker stories. We see detective stories. We see lighthearted comedy stories. Um, as we go along, like we'll be discussing them. But one of my favorites was uh, the legend of Newt Brody. So, like, you know, it was a really great way to kind of showcase what Batman is all about. Even if you've never read a Batman comic book before or know who Batman was, if you were living under a rock for like the past, you know, 80 years, like, this is a good book to start with to get a full encompassing view
1: of what Batman is about true it's like and like well the 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 essential goal like one of the things i mentioned that prior to to the release of this issue was that most of the stories were like outside of continuity well except for the last one which we'll get back to in a bit it's like you know it's like a lot of these like you know it's like you could actually like look at read most of these stories and believe that you know they were of like a part of the Batman mythos, either like stuff that had happened or stuff that was eventually going going to be. Now it's like we'll get back to New Brody as well, because I am because I am particular. It's like about these things. I want to start from the beginning. Of but, course. Um, yeah. So we'll start. We're gonna start with like um, the first one, Batman's longest case, which comes to us from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, who both gave us the uh, legendary um, run on the new fifth on the new 52 incarnation of Batman, which is. You know, it's like, it's the definitive, um, Batman run for the ages, like at a time when you think you thought that, you know, such things were like, you know, of, like of the past. And it's basically all about Batman, you know, just like finding, like working, working a case from his very first one and then finding that, you know, he's apparent that he may be, he may be the world's greatest detective, but he is not the only world's greatest detective as he, um. It goes through all sorts of, like, you know, particular things. It's, like, l- going through, like, min- minyote over, like, over the world. I mean, it's, like, it's very Scott Snyder-ish to have, talk about stuff like, you know, it's, like, ancient, ancient glass. It's, like, um, like, mal- malware that makes computers run faster. It's, like, um, e- like, Egyptian hieroglyphics. Um, it's, like, uh, like, cri- um, altered crystalline structures. Just really minute stuff that ties into something bigger, and yeah, I mean, I like I like this story, even though it kind of feels like, well, this is this is this is a, you know, like the uh, like of these stories are meant to be out of continuity. But this really feels like something that Snyder is going to come back to as a certain point, most likely for his Justice League run. But it's just, you know, fun to see, like, you know, Batman following a mystery to its end and then, you know, finding that, hey, it's only the beginning.
0: Yeah, so the conclusions of that one were uh, they're pretty interesting. So, um, yeah, and I would say maybe not the strongest one, but yeah, if there's more follow-up or if there's other th- other threads that that have been set in motion by that, I'm all for 'em. So,
2: and see what what I got what I got from this story though too is that it really showcases how smart Batman is and how great of a detective. He is, and how detailed he is. I mean, you know, he starts off, you know, to, uh, with the Looking Glass in Rome, which brings him to Japan, you know, which takes him to a, you know, a hack server malware that led to Egypt, and so on and so forth. And at the e- end of this long, long, long investigation, it leads him all, all the way back to Gotham to initiate him into uh, the detect the Guild of Detection. So, like. You, you see, like, characters in there, like, you know, Martian Manhunter, Hawk Girl, Hawkman, you know, Detective Chimp. Hell um, yeah. It's, it's like, it, yeah, it, it might not have been, like, a strong story, but it's strong. To me, it was strong in the sense of, like, it shows just how intuitive Batman is and, and how he could, like, basically, you can't hide from him. Like, eventually, he's going to find your ass. He's going to find and solve the crime. And what really got me, which really... Um, Sad to me about the storyline is like when he read that book, and I want to know what is inside that book.
1: Yeah, it's like you're talking about that bit at the end where he just like looks at it and goes, wow. wow!" Because yes. that's, that's like that's a, mm. it's a very un-Batman thing for him to just like open his eyes wide in surprise and go, mm-hmm. wow. Because typically you know, Batman, doesn't take by surprise. Yeah, Batman doesn't, get, Batman doesn't get surprised. Batman doesn't show awe at the unknown. And yeah, but here he does, and it's kind of like and I just thought it was a nice, it was a nice twist, you know. Just show that, you know, hey, that Batman, like for all that he knows, doesn't know everything. And it was, it was a, and and I like, I like that bit. And you will this is the kind, it's the kind of thing you can get away when you're doing short stories. Yes. Like in comics, like you, like you just, you like you can set up something like really set up something like this, and then just like, like you know, cut away at a later, like for like follow up on a later point, like which, I, I I'm. I am. I don't know when this will be followed up on, but I am very certain that it will be. Because, yeah. You know, Snyder isn't a guy to just you know do something like this it, and just let it go.
0: Yeah, and this is uh, and this story definitely underscores the detective in him. Yes. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good. It's a good start to the like to the anthology. Get things off on the right foot. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, I think getting things off on a on a better foot for you, Myron. So the next story features art from your your guy, Jim Lee. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um that it, that
2: one was um it was very short and it was actually one of my favorite stories the uh, Gotham Gift Shop and you know before it even before it even led up to like you know the the title of the story and who the writer and the artist were like looking right off the bat I'm like oh man this looks like Jim Lee's work and sure enough it was but the story was written by me and John's boy Kevin Smith and I thought that was I thought this was one of the most powerful uh, stories in this anthology on how Bruce obtained the gun that shot his parents. The item that destroyed his heart was redefined to protect his heart. And I was like, Mm -hmm. damn. Now,
0: now, didn't it start out with you, you like see that his... Uh, that Batman's, um, chest has been shot in that area, though. Yeah. It's a recurring
1: it, theme for all the, uh, all, of his, all the villain shots
0: in the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
2: It, yeah, and, and and quite frankly, like when it was building up to that, and you see the guy um, Malone in the shop, like buying, I couldn't, I didn't know who that was at first. At first, I thought maybe it was Alfred uh, in disguise buying it for him because of his like kind of like narrow facial structure. Mm-hmm. But you know, when it opens up, like yeah, you know, is this the Gotham gift shop? He's like, nah, this ain't it. This is the Gotham gift shop, and he opens it up, and you see nothing but. Uh, memorabilia and 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 items from uh, uh, Batman's you know previous villains like you know Mad Hatter and Joker and it was just very interesting to see like the shop owner kind of explained, like, yeah, you know, I got this, you know, I got this item, you know, but this was used during, like, a battle with, you know, uh, Mr. Freeze, this was used during, you know, his fight with Penguin, so on yeah. and so forth.
0: The fact that there's even a market for such items. <laughs> exactly. Well, this, is, this is Gotham. Yeah, so exactly. For... Exactly, oh. right, you know. <laughs> yeah. and of I course... will just say
1: that I'm ashamed to, to, uh, to, to realize that neither of you knew that Mashes Malone was, like, was, um, Bat- was Bruce Wayne's, like, Gotham Underworld identity. It's like, so ashamed. So
2: ashamed. See, yeah, and see, you normally have me on these podcasts for, like, Spider-Man stuff, because, you know, I'm a diehard Spider-Man fan, and I've always been more of a Marvel guy, but I do love and appreciate uh, DC, and when it comes to DC, Batman is kind of like the Spider-Man for me in the DC universe. So even though I don't... Read as much Batman material as I do Spider-Man material. I do have quite a bit of uh, Batman books, and I need to expand my knowledge on the lore of uh, Batman's, uh, you know, storied history. Yeah.
1: So uh, I want to—I want to read that. I'm so ashamed. Only as far as like this is, only as far as the fact that we can laugh about it.
2: Oh, of course, because I mean, like, you know, you got to understand, like, you know, Bruce. Bruce is a man of many disguises. Like, I mean, Batman and Bruce Wayne, you know, are his alter egos. But, you know, you go back and I'm pretty sure it's like this in the comic books. But you go back and watch Batman the Animated Series. I mean, you'd see Bruce kind of like hang out in the slums or hang out as like some type of hood thug to try to get as much intel as possible. And that goes back to him being a great detective.
0: By the yeah. way, I oh, could see remember the- I could see this story like being in the back of kevin smith's mind for like years yeah. oh, of course. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. to me i'm like you know what this is probably just something he just pulled out and he's like i got this one idea and and, and, and now I, and I, now it's like in print you know
2: and, and i had to go back and read this story several times because i thought it was deep and i think i think uh, john you brought it up like uh I, at first i didn't take notice to it but then, after I read it so many times, I took notice how, like, in most of his fight sequences, you see how he's getting slashed in the chest, like, slashed in the heart. And you see, like, slashes, uh, uh, shot, uh shots to his, uh, bat, bat, uh, logo. Mm-hmm. And that's where he ends up making the, you know, the breastplate, uh, mm-hmm. behind his, uh, you know, behind his heart. And I think that's powerful that, you know, the, the item that took away his heart ends up protecting it. And this was yeah. a really, like, this was like a really short, heartfelt
0: story, and I, I yeah. thought that was really dope. I thought, yeah. I thought it was interesting because, you know, um, I think that there's a dialogue sequence in there with Alfred. Because Batman collects things... That are yeah. the, the the giant dinosaur, right? Penny. The penny, right? Exactly. He collects these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, Yeah, and I think Alfred questions him on this. Yeah, Alfred says <laughs> like, "Dude, this is this is just too grim for you, you for you, Batman." Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, it's like, and yeah, you get like, it's easy to get that, but then when you find out just like what he's doing with it, it makes it's like it makes perfect sense. Though the crazy thing is, it's like I. I had I'd have to go and research this, but um, it may have actually been Frank Miller in The Dark Knight Returns that actually established the idea that you know Batman's got some sort of bulletproofing underneath that that um, yellow bat bat logo. Okay, yeah, because I remember like when he gets shot there, like he's like he falls off the tightrope and then he, it's revealed that oh, there's bulletproofing there. He's like, yeah, Okay, you, you ever wonder why I wear like this yellow bat symbol? This, this the, like, this yellow bat symbol on my chest. So, I but thought yeah, it was for it,
2: style. <laughs> you
1: know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, the, like the character, the creator, thing looks at this and goes, you know, this is honestly kind of dumb, but they don't. I think there's, I think it comes come with a good reason why it's done. It's like, and you know, it's like I, I think um, Smith is coming. Smith comes with a like good, with another good extension behind the reason of why. Of why of how, where that bulletproofing comes comes from, and I yep. I liked it too. Agreed. Like, yeah, and I like the uh, the story that follows, which is the aforementioned story about New Brody. Yes. and uh, it's like so. John, I, I know you're you. I mean, we're all big fans of like Batman the Animated Series, but this this comes from its
0: key writer, Paul Dini. So yeah, I did notice that. I did notice that. I was like, hey, cool. Here's his here's his throw in. You know, although it was interesting because I was looking at I was like, it's Paul Dini. And uh, although I think in the some of the older scenes, you did see the older version of Harley Quinn, not the more updated look.
1: Yeah, it's like, I think that's a case. Yeah, it's like the uh, it's like in the uh, the modern day, it's like talking about who is Newt Brody. You see modern day Harley Quinn, but in the flashback scenes of like showing you when when he participated in the actual crimes, mm-hmm. you see old school Harley Quinn.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but this this is a nice nice high concept. I mean, did you want me to explain it, or did you want to go into it, John? No, you go on ahead. Okay, because basically, like Newt Brody is basically the worst um, henchman in Gotham <laughs> City history. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: he's yeah. just standing there. <laughs> yeah, he fell asleep.
1: He just fell, just fell asleep the in, Alice in, in Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like yeah. The, the Riddler goes, you know, on second thought, I should have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean he I mean, you realize that, you know, there's going to be like this huge like like sub sub market for like for for, for henchmen in Gotham City because of all the criminal major criminals that, that operate out of it. And then you then it's not it's it shouldn't surprise anyone that you know, there is one that is like the worst one out of all of them. And we hear from like Harley Quinn about how New Brody like screwed up this story, this this job sorry this job where she and, she and Joker were trying to um, rig, rig an election for a corrupt politician, and then um, it's like he he worked as the Dormouse for a uh, Mad Hatter Mad Hatter gig, and then also like um, gave away the the code to Batman for one of Riddler's things. It's 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 fun ridiculous stuff. I mean, you realize that you know. It it makes perfect sense that you know there should be a character like Newt Brody in the uh, like like in the Gotham underworld, and then you get to the the final page and you realize, oh, that's there's a good reason why Newt Brody exists.
2: Mm-hmm. And it and it was a clever prank from the Bat Family. Spoilers! <laughs> Jeez, man! Oh, edit that out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, I'm, so yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun story that basically like, it would have it would have worked great as a like as an episode of um you know Batman the Animated Series like am I wrong? No, it, it is it is a fun
2: lighthearted story and uh, you know especially like the imagery too it kind of does and the coloring of like you know the the settings like it really does kind of harken back. Uh, to Batman the Animated Series, like, when you see, like, Poison Ivy kind of recount her stories, and you kind of see, like, the, the greenish tones uh, behind her, uh, you know, recount of her panels. When you get to the Riddler's uh, recount of the story, like, it, there's, like, very purplish uh, tones to his his panels. Like, it really did harken back to uh, the Animated Series as far as, like, style and, and feel and look. And then, of course, like, just the capers that they were trying to like you know accomplish during this time, really harken
1: back to that that as well, yeah, and I like and I really like the art from from Justin Nguyen. like and it's proof that you know he does better work when he's like doing full pencils as opposed to paint to painted work here mm-hmm.
0: yeah uh that's that that was part of my comment on the harley Quinn design, you know it was like and i and I looked at it, I was like, yeah, that's very you know very kind of clean although not as clean as like what you would expect from the animation so mm-hmm. yeah so but but very good and works well you know um you know uh i, I did like the way he draw, drew harley quinn in both both ways you know the, the the updated design and the and the older design so
1: indeed this is yeah, This is definitely one of the high points for this like for the like for the anthology yeah. Okay. And then we got um, something from, from a writer who longtime readers will know that I am totally in the tank for. That is Warren Ellis. I'm working with um, Becky Cloonan, who, believe it or not, is like still the only woman to have actually worked on um, on an issue of of bat of um the of the Batman series proper. Crazy, right? But um, the Batman's design um for me kind of like, feeds into like um Ellis Ellis has like. Kind of has worked with Batman briefly in the past, doing a uh, black and white story with Jim Lee for for Gotham Knights, and doing a um, story in his Planetary series where the characters from that series encounter all the different versions of Batman from popular culture over over the years. But with um, but Ellis's version of ba- of Batman is basically a compassionate psychopath, uh-huh. and uh, this is and this story really goes into that because it's basically about some. But a group of enhanced thugs who go into who wind up um like retreating into this one it's like one um like shoreline warehouse and it turns out that you know because Batman prepares for everything he's um prepa- he's actually um rigged this this warehouse you know for like for them as well and it's all about just Batman just orchestrating like like ways to efficiently take down these characters in brutal. In brutal yet effective ways. In fact, um, if you remember the bit from *The Dark Knight Returns* where Batman thinks of there, we get a thug gets a drop on him, and he thinks of there, there, like there, there are eight ways to take this to um take out the man from this from this perspective. Three of them disable with minimum contact, four of them kill, and one of them whack hurts. Well, we're dealing with we're dealing with the Batman who hurts right here right up until the, uh, final, um, the final encounter where, you know, it's like we established, we get, we see some of that compassion where Batman just, you know, like basically goes like, you know, Hey, I am the person who haunts, you know, Gotham. Do you want to be like me? And we're just left to one. And we find out just, you know, where this guy, um, like falls on that spectrum. But, um, it's, but it, I think for me, it's like, I, uh, it works because I'm familiar with Ellis's um, take on Batman, but also because um, Clunen's art is really, it's like, it's really emotive and striking. It's like, but um, but Myron, it's like I, all well, I means like, well, what did you think of this? Really, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Like, I really, it it took me a while to
2: uh, kind of get used to her style because when I look at, she's really great, and when I look at Batman, a lot of times I think. One of the things I get picky on is how he looks in his, you know, his cowl. Like the bat ears have to be like a certain length and a certain position. Oh,
1: uh, we'll come back to that later for Kelly Jones' story. Please go on.
2: Yeah, and it's like when I when I see Batman being drawn, I have like a certain pickiness on how I feel he should look, and I think that was for me. I think that was kind of established uh, during the Tim Burton movie era, and I've always liked that design. So when I see people draw. Batman. Like I really love Jim Lee's take. I love uh, um, uh, Greg Capullo's take on it. And I and it took me a while to, like I said, it took me a while to get accustomed. But Becky uh, Cloonan, I really love her. I really love her look and the colors in this um, this particular storyline because it's taking place in a warehouse and it's so dark. Just seeing like the w- when the explosions start happening, that's when I I, I get a visual sense of violence. And mm-hmm. like like, and we know Batman's credo. He doesn't believe in killing because the moment he kills, he becomes like them. And I think there was one villain in particular where he mentioned that he killed children with his bare hands. Where yeah, in 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 most people's cases, they would probably kill that person. Like you're a piece of shit. You don't belong on this earth. Yet Batman still. Uh, Bevan
1: hits this guy with a taser in in the back of his neck, mm-hmm. and that doesn't take him down. Bevan just like grabs his gun and just, just strikes jabs him in, him in the throat.
2: throat. Yeah, and it and it's like it's a violent way to take him down, but he's not dead. So you know, I really thought that this this uh, issue this storyline was pretty powerful because he takes all these villains down through traps instead of, instead of having to take the low road by killing them. And then the last villain, you know, who he mentions is like you know a visionary yet you know a visionary criminal yet he's like mentally unstable he talks him out of it and gives him a choice like like you mentioned like i i am you know i'm i'm already dead do you want to become like me you know is that what you want for yourself and he gives him a choice to make him change his life and i thought this was actually like a great story um, and visually striking from, you know, I, I know you say you have an affinity for Warren Ellis's work. I'm not too familiar with his Batman work. I've heard of it. But,
1: um, you know, I, I really thought this was uh, an interesting story. Okay. It's like, yeah, I'm glad you like, liked it. I mean, it's like, I I can spot, reading so much Ellis, it's like, I can spot a lot of his tics um, here so it's like it's so i'm glad to hear that it, it that it worked for you it's like you know being not as familiar with him as as i am so but um then we got the next story which you know it's like i gotta admit it's like if i was gonna say pick a story that i think was gonna be like gonna be like like the worst story for this anthology um this would be it really and, <laughs> and like uh, apologies to denny o'neill who um who is like who is deceased and I'm um, responsible for some all-time great Batman stories, including um the creation of Ra- Ra's Rachel Ghoul. But um it's got some fantastic art from Steve Epting, who um it's like, who, who does a good job of making stuff seem like very realistic, but not like stilted photorealistic, like he's tracing stuff. It's like but it's basically a story about how Batman has a conversation with Leslie Tompkins. It's like about how you know, she feels that, oh, Batman's that you've that, that that you've gone that you've um gone the wrong way in becoming Batman in order to um deal with your parents' death, but oh you know there are some thugs that are gonna, going to come to attack us because that's so convenient, and um it's like and then like it's you know I read really, you know Batman deals with them but then like she kind of responds to uh, his efforts you know with sanctimony I mean it, it it's a story that feels like the the deck is kind of is kind of like set just to um pro- make Batman seem wrong which honestly didn't work for me I kind of
2: agree with that too like I you know I'm
1: I'm more familiar
2: with Leslie from uh, Batman the animated series you know she's a doctor and you know work closely with uh, uh, Thomas Wayne and she does know of um, you
1: know Bruce's secret um, yeah in fact she, like she does like so she sounds like Bruce no which is kind of like you figure like No, don't don't do that. Really? Yeah,
2: yeah. I think I think that was one of the problems with the story I had too. It's like, dude, you have like four thugs and you're screaming his real name like out in front of them like hopefully they're not that intelligent to know oh is that Bruce Wayne? They, they think it's you know Bruce Banner but uh, <laughs> Bruce Campbell. You know, like man I love ho- that guy from the Evil Dead hopefully hopefully they get their universes crossed and don't realize it's Bruce Wayne but you know these kids needed to get their ass beat like I don't, I don't understand why she took So much sympathy, like after he beat their ass, and she's like, "Oh, poor thing." Like, nah, dude, these cats were like robbed a store, and we're trying to hold you up. Like, let them get their ass beat.
1: Yeah, I can understand. It's like you know, like, like where he's coming from on this story. It's like you know, just something like, like he's trying to get just get, don't try to question why Batman is necessary. But, Mm -hmm. um, but it's also done in a way that's basically just that, just that, just doesn't work. Real, really. I mean. I, I liked I really liked the art from from Epting, but um, but other than that, I mean the story itself was just was just kind of like um like too much too much sanctimony for it to, for it to really work. Uh uh-huh. Yeah. See, but um, then next time we've we've also got a um instead of a um legendary bat. In fact, it's like it's worth mentioning that you know Denny O'Neill worked with um like Neil Adams to create some really classic Batman stories in the seventies, but you know they didn't. They're not working together here. It's like because Neil Adams illustrates the next story, which is um, Heretic by um Christopher Priest, who um well while well, he's um best known for his um runs on on Black Panther and um uh, Deathstroke currently. Um he's also um the guy who um came up with the Bruce um Bruce Wayne goes to Tibet to learn from the um League of Assassins stuff. Which you know, if you'll remember, like, hey, we saw this in Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're um like getting here as um as Bruce Wayne is drawn into this like m- the murder of this of this eight a- like Asian kid who has had some tad had a um car from the Thomas and Martha Wayne Foundation. It's like, and um, it's eventually revealed that no, it's not that that Rachel Gould didn't have a, a role in this, but it's actually a uh, it's like like a retaliation killing from the League of Assassins itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I I, I, can, I can appreciate how, um, like I, I guess the word for, um, Adam's art is like, is overwrought. How, like, the characters are just like, it's like, just really just like, you know, dramatically posing and emotive in how they're, in how they're posed. Such as how when, um, like in Batman, like, tries to, um, question racial Ghoul, he does this by just Ramming his grabbing the Batmobile into Raish's Limousine and then jumping right over the car to qu- start questioning him. And then seeing how he's like just seeing how the, them going back and forth as they yell e- yell at each other. It's like it's it's kind of overwrought that I like, but the story just kinda of feels like like they like they um they wanted um Priest to well, either like the editors wanted Priest to revisit his his um, most notable Batman story, or Priest you know, just wanted to, like, you know, like, expound on it himself. And it was all right. I mean... Yeah, yeah I thought so, too. I mean, like,
2: I, I did like, you know, Neil Adams' uh, artwork in this storyline. And I and I love the classic, you know, uh, blue and gray uh, coloring for Batman. Um, this story, to me, though, wasn't, like, you know, too, too memorable.
1: Um, you know? I mean, it, it, I don't think it was bad. I mean, it's like, I, I like... The bit at at the end, where you know Batman you know tries to find like another way way to resolve things rather than just you know, hey, I'm gonna beat everyone up. It's like no, he's got a, his own way to do this and it's like the uh and the league of assassins has has their own plans as well. I mean, no one is essentially wrong in this but it's i but it doesn't make for like the most interesting drama or conflict in this story, really, right yeah, but so I guess we're just kind of like. It's okay, and I guess the fact that it wasn't bad is kind of a win for, for like any anthology, I guess
2: yeah, I mean, it was like like I said, you know, at least for me personally, like I, I did you know appreciate the artwork, and you know after uh, sitting in on Andy kubert's uh, panel uh, you know at WarnerCon and listening to him and Emma talk about um, you know uh, storytelling uh, visual visual storytelling i mean you you need to be able to as an artist you need to be able to convey a story through imagery and if you were to take out all all the lettering and all the bubbles and just look at the uh the images and the paneling themselves i mean i really did like the way this was laid out and uh you know conveyed the story uh visually and it really brought and his art style uh really brought me back to like more of like a, you know, uh, 80s, like early 80s, late 70s style Batman. And I really loved uh, the coloring and uh, kind of like his his facial expressions. Like Batman, he's not like too, too grim as in Frank Miller, but grim enough to where like, oh, this cat's going to beat your ass, dude, if you.
1: Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's the over, like I said, I said, it's, it's enjoyably overwrought as far yeah. as yeah. am concerned.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I mean, it's it, it was cool, but like I said, you know, it wasn't one of the most memorable stories, uh, um, in this in this anthology compared to the next one we're about to discuss.
1: Oh yeah. So in fact, um, you know, we I mean, we were talking about Bendis earlier, but this is this is the story from but from by Michael Bendis and um, mm-hmm. Alex Malieve. and um, Bendis can usually be counted on to do great work with. With Malieve. I mean, from his run on, from his run on Daredevil to, um, well, okay, well, Scarlet was was good, even though I've got real issues with how how its serialization went. But um, like, but this is a story of of um, the Penguin, you know, coming up to an, an an old Penguin, coming up to an old, like, seemingly comatose Bruce Wayne, to tell him that after all these years, I knew you were Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And this is the story of how he knew he was Batman and why he never did anything because of it. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I will admit not he's actually got some good reasons here. It's like, I mean, it's, I mean, like, Bendis does a good job of capturing, like, penguins, like, you know, like, like superior, like superior, like self superior self-serving, um, like dial. Um, dialogue. It's like, and just like, just saying, like, hey, you know, it's like, because the Penguin has always been one, like, one of the like few. Um, Batman. Um, you know, same. Byron, we can hear you're vaping from here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, just just wanted just wanted to let you know, but um, but um, I mean, like, the Penguin has al- always been like, you know, one of the few Batman villains where you know when he gets busted, he doesn't go to Arkham, he goes to Big Boy prison, mm-hmm. real prison, and like, uh, you know, it's like, so he to hear him like, you know, just like, just like, just like rationalize everything here. It's really, it's like, it's really interesting. It's like, and, and it makes a lot of sense. It's like that, that, you know, like that, that he would want to like do just that at the very end, you know, like when, when neither of them has really like, you know, have any capacity to do what they were best known for, for the penguin to just, just go, you know, Hey Bruce, I knew it's like i knew everything about you and I, I didn't do anything so screw you and then bruce's response
0: well he said i win
1: spoilers <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah but the thing is with that is you know it's like with with that with what bruce says it's it's kind of like i mean like i liked the story when i read it but i couldn't quite articulate it when i when I did, but then I, because like after I thought about it I realized, okay, this, is kinda, this story kind of gets to what I really love about Batman. Just the fact that, you know you've got the story where the villain is setting up this like, you know, big story, this big plot to, to um, trap Batman, and then it's like, when he draws it, it's like it, he finds out that, oh, no, because Batman was building a bigger box around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's something that um that, that the Joker said during Grant Morrison's run. It's like that always stuck with me because like the Joker always said he was always frustrated because you know, hey, whenever I think I'm building a box around Batman, I found out oh no, he's building a bigger box around me. <laughs> and that's and that's what this story gets at, at at the very end. And I think it's perfect for like a nice short story because you know it's like this is kind of what what you'd expect from Batman. It's like yo, know, he's always got a plan. He's always one step ahead of his like of his adversaries. And and I just and like I just love that. It's like and that's and that's what really gets me about this about, about this like the short the short eight pager. I mean it's like Bendis has done Bendis's output I've has been really uneven towards the end of his turn, tenure at Marvel. But this um this is something that kind of gives me like hope to read um his when I get around to reading his um, his Marvel, his DC Superman stuff in paper, like in paperback. So, so I, see, I really, I really like this the story. It's like out of all the, this it's clearly out of continuity, but it's it's also one that you know at the same time uses that out of continuity status to tell something that to tell a larger, a story that's like the that encapsulates encapsulates a larger truth about Batman for, for me at least.
2: I mean, I mean, um, you know, when, when this was one of my favorite stories in this book too, and when I first, before, before, like you find out the title, who the writer and the artist are, you look, you look at this panel and you just see like you can all, you can automatically recognize the penguin just by his, you know, elongated nose and his shapely head, and you know it was kind of it was kind of weird to pronounce what he was saying i was like wah, 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 you know like the way it was written however when he approaches this old man in the wheelchair quite honestly like i i didn't know that was bruce wayne at first i'm mean, and you would kind of suspect so just because he has as an older man he kind of has that archetypic archetypal um Kind of facial structure for like a heroic figure, like, you know, strong chin, like really straight, sharp lines in his face. So I did assume, like, okay, he's this, this has got to be Bruce Wayne. And, you know, he Penguin introduces himself, you know, Oswald Cobblepot. And, you know, I'm Oswald Cobblepot, and I want you to know that I found out who Batman was years ago. So obviously, you know, the the, the kind of, like, uh, smug look on his face when he said that, okay, I was like, okay, this has got to be Bruce Wayne. And once you kind of get into the storyline, and as he's telling, like... How this all built up, how, like, Joker gathered, you know, all the villains in Gotham to kind of form some type of, like, you know, team or league or
1: whatever. Well, it's basically says that, you know, like, it's, it's one of those occasions where, like you know the Joker or someone else tries to form like a league or something. Like like this is this is like like all the guys in Gotham are trying to unionize against Batman at some point, but it never quite works out for whatever reason. Right. And it's like,
2: you know, I, I love how he kind of recounts to that and how like he came to his conclusion on who Bruce Wayne was. But if you really look skin deep, you know, Batman and and Penguin, you know, Bruce Wayne and Oswald Cobblepot are businessmen, and mm-hmm. bis- and businessmen are always going to try to outdo their competition. So that's why, like, as he's recounting the story and telling this story, he's like, "Yeah, I've always known." But I didn't do anything with it. I had a chance to do it had a chance to destroy you. I had a chance to do, you know, this, but I chose not to because he felt that he had a one up card on his competition. But as you read through the story, you end up not only finding out who's the smarter man, but who's the better businessman, so to speak.
1: Yeah, that he said, you know, like that the penguin couldn't trump Bruce Wayne in terms of when it comes to to um to him crime, but he wanted like outfox him as as the better businessman
2: yeah and so this was like this was like a really enjoyable story because after you see you know after you know oswald's like i knew it and now you're the only reason you're you're the only reason you're still alive is because i'm smarter than you and i win and after you see the results of that you're like oh you know, you can't outfox this guy, man. He's, you know, he's he's a he, goddamn the, Batman. Yeah, he's the one upper, dude. Like it, it's always that's that's one thing about Batman and 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 the villains he faces like, you know, they're always trying to one-up each other in their smarts. Like, Bruce is like, traveled the world, and, you know, he studied a lot of, like, um, you know, he studied a lot, you know, martial arts, you know, uh, science, and chemistry, everything to make him well-rounded enough to face multiple foes. And when he faces our particular foe, he already knows, like, okay, they have this type of personality. He knows them psychologically, and he knows them intimately based off of their fights. So it's like, Penguin is just another facet of of the education he's got not only through being Batman but through his travels and being Bruce Wayne. So even as old ass men, it's like you're never you're never going to get one up on me, dude.
1: Yeah, and I also I also I mean I think that um, Maliv does like really strong art as far as like you know capturing the facial expressions of these characters, especially the penguin how he just you know, just captures like these, these mood shifts from like someone who's like just like really vindictive against him, but also just realizes that oh well, you know, if I do kill Batman, well, what's going to happen if I do?
2: And and, and I agree with you there with Maliev's artwork, just because I have a I have a, a a bias affinity for Tim Burton's Batman. I mean, some some people might disagree, you know, what, what's the greatest but, Batman movie ever? But I love Batman and Batman. Uh, returns and i feel like the way the penguin is drawn in this short story it really harkens back to danny devito like i see danny devito
1: there and, are a couple of, there are a couple panels in here that really that make you go like that malice was just going like oh like i i just saw batman returns and i want to put that in exactly that
2: Exactly, especially like the little penguins with the the remote control helmets and rocket backpacks. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, some some of his facial expressions too. It just I see Danny DeVito in his artwork, and even as an old man too. So I agree with you there. Like his facial detail um, is really, really on par and just really um, expressive. And so, like again, that goes to like you know telling telling a story through um, you know through paneling and 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 you know, telling narrative story art like you know, if you were to just take away the lettering in the story, you can kind of read. You can kind of read this in your mind how this story went down. It is very expressive and
1: and very uh, very artistic. I, I love it a lot. Yeah, I think you had a good point about just how you, that it's possible that you probably just look at this. You could probably just take away the uh, lettering, the the dialogue balloons for this story, and it, you could pro- you could probably still get a good idea of what was going on here.
2: Yes and and you know just to get off on a tangent quite quite frankly you know that that's what I got most out of that panel we went to with the cuberts is like how important that really is. I mean story storytelling is as equal as equally as important uh to the artwork like the artist and the writer working together they got to be able to tell the story together and if you have a bomb writer who is able to tell a fantastic story but an artist who's not able to convey that it it really brings down the, the content of the book or if you have a bomb artist that is, you know, filling in for a story that's not as strong, then of course it brings down the value of that book. And I mean, I have I have several comic books that I bought straight off of the artwork alone, but then the story just like, ah, eh, it's whack.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, I get what you mean. We should, we should probably move on to the, uh, to the next story. Of course. but it also but I guess this next story is also comes from an artist who like I appreciate really appreciate the years past. And like uh, you've and you mentioned about how you you like want Batman to be drawn in a certain way, like with um his like his um horns like in a cer- for a certain length and whatnot. Correct. Yeah. Okay. This artist um who illustrates the next story, Kelly Jones, he was known for like drawing like twelve inch Batman horns in his run on Detective Comics back in the day with Doug Mensch. or wait, was it Detective Comics? No, it was regular Batman. It's like, and you know, it's like I. And, you know, it's like, I kind of miss seeing, like, when I see a Kelly Jones story, I he's known for like, drawing exaggerated, like, spooky, like, characters. And I remember, like, in this Batman stuff was great in that regard. It's like, but, um, and, you know, <laughs> you know and to be honest, like, we didn't get, like, the, the crazy 12 inch Batman horns in this story. So, this is, like, the rare story where I was kind of disappointed because of the art. Because I am normally a whore just for writers period and this is written by jeff johns and johns is like you know one of dc's a-list writers i mean you don't call this guy up to um like handle like part of your movie development stuff unless you're like really good as a writer but um johns like has done lots of great stories like for it's like for dc over the years and like see him like here for like for this batman story it's like the last crime in gotham it's like i always know it's like you know, it's like I can see what he's going for here. I kinda like it, but I guess I just think it was like all right because you know, it's like it's, it's basically a story about just, you know, what is the last crime Batman has to face before, you know, there is no crime left in Gotham. And and um, you know, like there's a lot of like, you know, future assumption as far as like, you know, who is going to be Batman's last foe and it's gonna be the Joker, but not really. As we see here, but in the end, though, it's like you know we're left with the story is basically one that resolves with um, no crime left in Gotham. But even then, that's kind of like more wish fulfillment, literal wish fulfillment. It's like as like as we find out in the uh, first and last pages. So, but you know, it's like it's I kind of I kind of want to like this a lot just because of the idea. I want to like the the idea of you know. Batman, like a Gotham that is, you know, without crime. That you know, he's finally encountered. He's finally finished his mission, and now he can just relax with his family. Justice so, has been completely served now. Yes, yeah. Like I, I want that. Yeah, I want. Um, I, I want to. I, I want to like the idea of the story, even though it's like I kind of realize that. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wish fulfillment. But you know, I guess if he can't give Batman wish fulfillment. Detective Comics 1000, then when, when can you give it to him, really?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, this story was okay, too. I just, you know, from what I got out of it, um, it really shows and tells me as a reader that Bruce does, it seems like Bruce does want to have a normal life. I mean, to see him um, fighting alongside Catwoman and... Their daughter, Echo, I'd never even heard of. And Damian Wayne really tells me, like, he does really want to have, like, you know, that crime oh, and off.
1: and Ace the Bat-Hound. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and let's not
2: forget Ace the Bat-Hound. I, I thought that was, uh, it, it kind of harkened back to me that, uh, there was a cartoon about, uh, uh, superman's dog i, I forgot crypto. crypto 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 the super dog and when i saw a dog in a batman outfit i was just okay whatever
0: well, i thought but, uh, i thought in batman beyond that his dog was named ace as well
2: oh you know what you, you're i think you're right actually so
0: oh you mean you mean the
2: good bad dog the good bad dog that big it was like a big bloodhound or or yeah
1: he looked like a bloodhound
0: yeah he's literally like, in the, the first episode yeah
1: yeah I remember he says like like when i'm um, yeah, and uh, Terry McGinnis is like, hey, good dog, good dog. Like, and Bruce's brain is like, no, not really.
2: <laughs> but I, I think, you know, deep down, you know, Bruce does want to have a normal life, but can he really have a normal life?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's it, the story is wish fulfillment. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, let's see, if you can't give Batman wish fulfillment in Detective Comics 1000, then well, when can you give it to him? If you want to keep making money, never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean the game. As far as like you know, like I mean, you, you talked about like how you feel you vi- you envision Batman, like your platonic ideal, like as a, a Batman as a visual. So how did how do you feel about Kelly Jones's art? Uh no, no disrespect. Um,
2: I wasn't like that huge of a fan, and um, this Joker panel actually kind of gave me nightmares. I mean, I guess it's good oh, in that the sense. The son
1: of the Joker panel.
2: Yeah, yeah, the son of the Joker panel. Like it, it did kind of. give
1: me I, I that's I I consider that a plus because I mean like I like Kelly Jones Kelly Jones is good is a good spooky horror artist I mean
2: yeah and that and that was great but uh, I don't know Catwoman I I had I had some weird issues with Catwoman and uh, Robin um, in in this in this story like I I'm not knocking his artwork and his Batman is awesome like you know he he kind of had that like older thicker grim. Um, kinda like, you know, uh, men- like kind of menacing look to him, like with the ears. Like you did bring up a good point. Like I do like Batman with the,
1: the thicker long ears. I want I want but you know it's it's Kelly Jones who does who goes like all out and just like, you know, I'm fucking, fuck it. I'm gonna give Batman twelve inch horns because he's meant to be goddamn intimidating here. Yeah. A goddamn horror a horror character is like living in real life. Yeah. But, exactly. you know, we didn't we didn't get that here. So that I I am. This is a rare moment of artistic disappointment that I am faced with. But you know, it's like everyone else. You know, might not have that. that yes. Yeah. And and
2: so I mean, you know, to be an artist and to be able to tell a story visually, you know, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of skill and patience. So I don't knock. I don't knock anybody uh, for their artwork and doing their thing. But however, you know, for me, it doesn't like uh, really really strike me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I—I I mean, like, what, hey, would it blow your mind to tell you, for me to tell you that he actually did a uh, a Magneto mini series from Marvel back in the mid '90s?
2: Oh, did he? Yes. Hmm. I, I'll have to look that up myself and and check it out and make my make my comparisons there.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like it's it's one of those things where it's kind of like you know I just you know I have my idea of like what Kelly Jones Kelly Jones is like really really good for certain stuff, but you know straight up superhero things like. Uh, like that Magneto series, like, you know, it's like, I'm not going to check that because I think that would just be, like, terrible. But that's a completely different different podcast, really. It's like, we're here talking about Batman Detective Comics 1000. And here we've got, the next story is The Precedent from James Tinney IV and um, artist Alvaro Martinez. Um, So this is a story about, you know, Batman rationalizing how to work with, with, um, with um, Tim, with, um... Sorry, I'm Dick Grayson as Robin. The end. <laughs> yeah,
2: but I, I did kind of like the message uh, in in the storyline about, like, you know, Bruce isn't the only person that has gone through the tragedy that he's gone through. I mean, Dick Dick has faced his uh, tragedy with the loss of his parents, and, the, and it, it brings up a good point in the sense of, like, you know, youths going through that type of tragedy and how they react to it. Like, are you the one to go out and get revenge and shoot up everybody, uh, who did you wrong and then shoot up everybody who would do wrong to others? Or or are you the one to take up on the mantle and handle a responsible way to serve justice? And I love the way that they kind of convey a mention, uh, a message that we will help them find a better path together. And Dick was honestly the first, uh, person that bruce was able to take on that way and 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 from there we got jason todd tim drake um you know and so many others after that damian so we got so many others after that and i'm not talking about just robin but um you know just showing people that there's another way uh to administer justice than to sink down to the level of those that we're trying to uh defeat so, I, I, you know, as short as it is and how it seems cliché, like, oh, Batman and Robin story, like, it, it did have a nice little message to it. Okay. I'm glad
1: you, I'm glad you liked it. Um, the thing is, like, I've read, you know, a bunch of stories from Tom Tinian um, that, you know, it's like, that, you know, like, basically are, like, you'll know, fine that basically, like, you'll know, follow the expected path of, you know, a Batman story. And this one is... No, different, really. It's just kind of like you know it's like it's like you're just telling like a story i've i've I'm familiar with that I've read before. It's like just okay, maybe you've got a more modern handle on on things. and the art the art from Alvaro Martinez is nice, but it's just kind of like you're not telling me anything i I know already. It's like it's just this is the kind of stuff that frustrated me with his detective comics run because you know he just followed the uh, superhero Batman specific playbook and um you know it's like and just told familiar stories and within that context sure there were occasional bits that you know struck out as being you know uh, outside of the you know like the story but you know it's like but overall it was just like pretty familiar pretty well expected and you know it's like i just keep coming back to like this one the story that he did in the first volume of um justice league where he told the told the Told told the story of I and what of Lex Luthor was up to, you know, in order to recruit this um lead, his current Legion of Doom, and I think that that um if he's gonna do, you know, it's like like really familiar by the book stories, but do them for villains, do them for characters we haven't, you know, that for stories that characters that we haven't been seen done to death yet. So, but so overall, I mean, it's like yeah, it's like it was fine, but you know, it's like when I say fine, I mean. It's like you know for like compare like I've read uh, other like lots of other stories like this from Tinian and I think that you know I've he's done he he, he can do he can do better and that you know he's just following you know the the, the back playbook here which just annoys me to no no end really <laughs> yeah but um next next one we got is Batman's greatest case which is actually by um a current bat Batman writer um, Tom King, um, and this is and um, this is a story, but it's about, features art, are from two artists, Tony Daniel and Joel Jones. Daniel um, handles the uh, superhero um, sequences, while um, Jones handles the uh, sequences at the uh, it's like it's like at the cemetery, and it's basically all about you know Batman, you know figuring figuring out. Well, okay. Essentially, it's about Batman figuring out, you know, what he's going to do, you know, it's like, you know, wh- like how, how he's going to move on with his life after his, after his fam- family's, after this with his parents, but also just, you know, what happens when um, he gets it together with the rest of his Bat family for a specific anniversary event each year. And I, okay, I would think that, you know, people who um, don't read a lot of comics are going to be frustrated by how this story plays out because um king has lots of dialogue box boxes um over the course of it's like over, over the course of the issue well dialogue boxes in the uh it's like in the cemetery sections where you're not sure who is going is speaking but then you you see the di- actually dialogue balloons in the uh like in the superhero sequences where you realize okay this is who is speaking and it actually makes a lot of sense that everyone is saying this cuz looking at all this like i was able to um keep everything straight as far as you know who was saying what and and what was going on here in fact there's lots of funny stuff here like there's a bat Bat girl complaining to batwoman about um you know like why are you called why am i bat girl and why are you batwoman and um and Gra- and also the the apparently how decoration is apparently insufferable when he says like, "Hey, you know, I used to be Batman," so, <laughs> so yeah, it's like I, so so I liked it. But then again, I've had lots of time to, like, to acclimate myself to um to Tom King's stylistic um quirks and ambitions, reading his regular Batman's st- like um Batman series. And and from an art perspective, like I I uh,
2: I love Tony Daniel. Like it took me. It took me many years to get accustomed to his artwork just because I grew up with him during the uh, Image era when he uh you know he worked on Spawn and um he's worked on uh Fantastic 4 uh, in Marvel for a little bit. Um he kind yeah, of so he he did Fantastic 4? Uh yeah, uh, the uh Heroes Heroes Reborn. Wow.
1: It's like yeah. I I know that Jim Lee did
2: do like part of that. Yeah, Jim Lee did, like, the first, like, four, maybe five issues. And then I stopped collecting because Jim Lee stopped and Tony Daniel took over. And I was a little apprehensive. I was kind of mad because, you know, Jim Lee did such a fantastic job on that. I'm like, who the hell is Tony Daniel? And it took me a while. Okay,
1: I can understand that.
2: Yeah, and it's like, and then all of a sudden I see Tony Daniel, like, everywhere. Like, his name working on different projects. And he harkens back to an era... Uh, that I loved in comic books when you had like your J. Scott Campbell's, your Jim Lee's, uh, your Mark Silvestri's, and he kind of harkens back to that. And when I see him doing modern work, um, I really love how he's grown as an artist. And especially like that, that double page where they're taking, you know, uh, the whole Bat family is there and, you know, says cheese. I really want a poster of that. Like I really love his artwork and I think he's I mean he was when you go back and look at his older artwork, he was dope back then, but um I think he's a lot uh he's a he's come a long way. He's a lot doper now. And so
1: you know I have Oh a lot yeah, of- it's like he uh it's like I I love his I he um he's I I first got into his Batman work when he started illustrating Grant Morrison's um run. It's like with um like with with um part like Part of the, the second half of the Black Glove collection, and then Batman RIP. It's like, and he's he's gotten a, he's gotten like really impressive since then. I mean, he's done, and he's also done some impressive work on Tom King's ongoing series, like the alternate universe. There's he did an alternate universe story where um, it's like where um, Booster Gold tried to um prevent the uh, I like, tried to um like you know like prevent Bat- the death of Batman's parents as the uh, as a uh, as a birth, as a um, wedding present to him, and it just went horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was beautiful to look at because of because of Daniel's work. Uh-huh. So it was like, I mean, I, I love so like he does good work here. And I think, I mean, on um, and Jones, I think gets a little bit shortchanged here because she just basically has to do like Bruce Wayne, like you know, looking pensive at a in a in a cemetery. But yeah, you're right that that whole like. Uh, that whole like double page spread of a Batman going cheese, like that is that is poster worthy, really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's also got Ace the Bat Hound as well. Yeah, yeah, Ace the Bat Hound. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so, so, I mean. Did you, but hey, question mark. So, did you find it hard you know, to keep track of who was like who was I'm um, saying what in all those dialogue on um, boxes?
2: Yeah, honestly, quite frankly, I didn't even uh, read this whole story because. Because once it got to the panel where Bruce is in front of the uh, the uh, the Wayne uh, tombstone, like it did, kind of get really wordy to where like I kind of lost track, and then I just kind of skipped ahead and just uh you know just to get a gist of what was going on and really look at the artwork. So I, I did kind of find it hard, um, not that I you know have a short attention span, but it it did get a little wordy where I was like, okay, let me let me come back to this, and I just
1: never did. Okay, so do you think that it maybe it should have had? You know, I guess to me, just like, like, just like little captions to show like who was who was saying what. Would that would? Like, I guess would that, would that I, mean, I
2: mean, it's possible to have little captions on who was talking, but at the same time, it, it could have been it could have been broken down through like artwork. Like, I mean, if 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 uh, maybe instead of this whole panel of. Uh, Bruce in front of the tombstone on the left-hand side of the page. You could have had separate boxes on who was talking. Um, that could have been a little bit uh, more easy to follow uh, visually. But um, yeah, I think like like you mentioned before, there was just like tech bo- text boxes like scattered all around um, Bruce Wayne, like scattered all around that image, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to follow. Except for Ace, where he said "urf urf."
0: <laughs> true
1: so yeah. okay but I guess like before we get into the final one we've got like some pinups from Michael Janin, Jason Fabach and Amanda Connor which I think I think were quite, quite nice I mean it's like it's nice to see Janin com- contribute because he's uh, illustrated like some of the key um, stories in, in King's current run and I think he does a great Joker like as, as well and then um, you got Fabok who I love the detail that he puts into his work here, and, well, it's like, you know, this is like a really impressive double-page spread as well. It's yeah, like, I'm f- I'm fairly
2: new to this artist, and um, I, I already love uh, what he's done so far, and I, I don't think I picked up any of, uh, I, I know there was a cover he did for Detective Comics 1000, I don't think I, I didn't pick that one up yet, um, I've already spent enough, but if it's Keyword still available. He would hear his yet. Yeah, th- like once, 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 I, once I get more money, and once uh, you know I have that kind of extra disposable income, there are still a few covers that I like to pick up, and he was one of those artists.
1: Yeah, it's like he's he's pretty. Like I, is pretty is pretty great. I've seen this like work, It's like working on bat. It's like in bat Batman Eternal. It's like and like I I think he's I think he's good. I mean, he's currently working with um Jeff Johns on well allegedly on a uh, black. Label series called Three Jokers, because the way Johns figured it, there are three different Jokers running around. It's like one for like representing a representative of each era. Which you know, much as I like John's attempt to like work lots of stuff into continuity, I don't think that um, his attempt to work his his take on the Joker there kind of works. Because, well, I like Grant Morrison's um, like take on Jokers as one who was like. Super sane, someone who like has a different like wears a different set of sandy pants for each different era, and you know that works. You know, just like whenever whenever the Joker i i has encountered has a new like situation he needs to encounter, well, he just puts on a new pair of pants that present a different sort of sanity for him. There you go. But that's kind of like off topic here, and I guess you know well we've actually come to like the final story here, which is um the introduction to the arkham knight so uh well i don't know it's like i'm i don't know if i want to talk, talk about this or if you want to talk about this myron because i know you've actually read like the issues that have followed up on this because this, this is like the one story in the anthology that's basically explicitly um described as like setting up future batman stories
2: yeah so um so with so with this storyline here, I did not read the end of Detective Comics uh, 1000 on this introduction. I jumped straight into uh, 1001. I couldn't I cu- I couldn't wait. So, you know, for all all of you Batman fans who've played uh, Arkham Knight for PS4, um, there is a specific kind of view I've had of the Arkham Knight, and I was kind of hoping for. That kind of style and and that setup, but what we get here is like we actually have a knight, like clad clad in armor with Arkham shield, like a big A shield, and he has a clan of sun knights. And without without spoiling too much of the story, uh, in after Detective Comics 1000, and we get into 1001, we find that there are uh, dead bats all over uh, Bruce Wayne's uh, bat cave and dead bats in the uh, zoo where, um, correct me here, Jason, um, Man met Kirk uh, Langstrom. Thank you.
1: Uh, not Kirk, but uh, his wife. Um, well, I, I know Kirk Langstrom is man-bat. I don't know much about his wife, really. So his wife,
2: you know... Um, Works along with him, and she actually injects herself with the serum to become, you know, Man Bat or One Man Bat. And
1: <laughs>
2: but 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 it's still it's it's just,
1: it's, so it's just gonna laugh and let that speak for itself. Go on. Yeah, it,
2: it it's still it's still it's still Man Bat. So there's there's dead bodies appearing everywhere in Gotham that uh, Detective Gordon is investigating, and then there's dead bats in Bruce's Bat Cave. That He's investigating which leads him to the Gotham Zoo where he talks to Mrs. Langstrom and she is kind of going nuts and freaking out and injects herself with the man bat serum and transforms into a bat. We come to find out that the Arkham Knight and this uh, night clan uh, or this this night clan of the sun uh, basically is setting off an artificial sun in Gotham because they want to destroy the night and they associate batman with the knight. so the arkham knight has some type of uh, alternate view of justice that he feels that is his right way of justice over batman so i could see this kind of building up to an interesting storyline that kind of like distorts my perception of what i originally thought when they, they when when they were going to announce that uh the arkham knight was going to be introduced um i kind of thought that they might kind of play off of the jason todd storyline from the arkham knight game but you know with jason todd being red hood already who 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 is this arkham knight and who can it be so issue 1 exactly th- Ar- issue 1001 came out a couple weeks ago and issue 1002 just came out this past wednesday so i'm interested to see uh, and I think my anticipation of like okay who who is this character who is he gonna be um, you know I, I I'm really excited to see where they lead up into this because when we when we're introduced to the Arkham Knight in the Arkham you know city or Arkham Knight game Arkham Knight is very uh, militant and uh, militaristic future militaristic here we see a more modern knight with sword and shield so i really like the design that they went with this uh character and he just looks more like badass and uh, you know he kind of reminds me a little bit of a- like kind of Azrael. but you know i i have a feeling like this has got to be somebody that is tied to batman or bruce wayne in some sort of way so i can't wait to find out who this arkham knight is and what he uh has in store for batman and for gotham
1: okay now it's like um i Correct me if I'm wrong, but like the issue the art for these, um the like for, for these issues are they're provided by Doug Monk, right?
2: Uh let me hold on, let
1: me get my let me get my comic. Yeah, because Monk provides the art for the uh, for the teaser in um Texas Comics one thousand. And I've always liked his stuff. He's got a he's got a great eye for detail and he's also really great when it comes to, like, drawing monster-type stuff. It's like, and he's done lots of good stuff in the years past with, um, John Arcudi and with, um, Jeff Johns in, in his in his Green Lantern run. And I, and it's like, well, I think that his, his, um, stuff in Batman, in his Superman run with Peter Tomasi, who does the, uh, shortly doing, like, this, this story in, in Detective Comics, it's like, like, to, to sto- the art he did with, um, the work you did with Tomasi in uh, Superman was more clean than I would have liked. So I, I like chunky, um, gritty uh, Monk. It's like better than like you know clean, like um than clean Monk. And uh, we get that, and we get that here in the in the preview. That the it's a pretty preview for the uh, main story in Detective Comics 1001 and Beyond. So so yeah, I I do
2: like. Uh... Doug Monk's, um you know, design of the Arkham Knight at this at this final page of issue one thousand, but the artwork done on Detective Comics one thousand one and one thousand two, so it seems to be continuing on, is uh, Andrew Hennessy and uh, uh, Bradley Walker. And you know, when I read it, it wasn't uh, it it wasn't bad. I, I did like the artwork, but I don't think it was what I expected. Um, I think what was you know, what What I saw here illustrated from Monk, I um, I think I expected darker, beefier, grittier. But like I said, you know, these knights uh, seem to, it reminded me of DuckTales, like, you know, that episode where, you know, they're in the uh, the Sun God Temple or whatever. These- Wait, is that the, you're
1: talking about the premiere, like the premiere miniseries or movie?
2: Yeah, back at, yeah the, yeah, the first, like, premiere episodes, like, where they're in that, like, Sun Temple and you see those Sun Coins. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's how these knights. Uh, that when I when I read about these knights, like that's what they reminded me of for some reason. And so, like, primarily you see Batman, you know, crime fighting in the daytime, and that's a little different for me. But we'll see how this builds
1: up. Okay, so yeah, you mentioned that the, the they're trying to like like eradicate the night in Gotham.
2: Yeah and I'm not and, and and it's a play on words it's like not maybe not necessarily you know eradicating the night as in the darkness but eradicating the dark night
1: Yeah I I which saying, but Justin told me that they that part of the one of the plot elements here is that they they throw an artificial sun over Gotham.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They set off a bomb, which you know launches an artificial sun uh, up in Gotham. So it's almost as if they're trying to create like an
1: eternal, an eternal and, day. And, and I'm willing to suspend disbelief as that being like you know completely ridiculous because I've I've read enough superhero comics to just go, yeah, okay. It's like you want to like set off an, oh, a sun over Gotham to. Like to to um, eradicate like to eradicate like you know the Dark Knight and Batman. Okay, I I I can go with that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean,
2: it, it, we'll see where it goes. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm very interested to uh, see where this goes. And you know, aside from like uh, the new Fifty Two Batman by Snyder uh, Snyder and Scott. Sorry, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Um, I haven't really been consistent with my batman collecting and i think that at least for me right now detective comics 1000 was like a great way to um kind of start fresh and go from like 1000 and build from there so i'm really um i'm really excited to kind of continue on with some uh uh consistent
1: storylines yeah it's like i mean it's like I think, you know, there are some storylines, you know, looking at the uh, Leslie Tompkins and Crime Alley story where I just, like, roll my eyes at. But, you know, there weren't ones that I I think were outright bad for this anthology which is basically an anthology issue. And, you know, that's honestly kind of an achievement in itself because, I mean, like, every anthology series can be described as, like, hey, you know, there are some good ones and there are some bad ones. And it's, like, either alright or it's all right in the end, but you know, it's like I think Detective Comics one thousand. That you know, hey, if if you like Batman, it's like then this is like worth picking up because you know it's a really pretty solid run of stories. Like it's like, I mean, there, listen, there aren't any. None of them are really bad. None, there's there's no terrible one in there to be honest. I mean, like they're all pretty enter- entertaining overall. I mean, like I guess at at this point we want to talk about so what like uh what was your favorite story like in this anthology
2: um that quite honestly i think it was uh the one where penguin uh, reveals to bruce that he's known all along he was batman i mean when i first started reading for a while it was uh the story we talked about by uh um uh kevin smith and uh Uh, oh yeah
1: manufactured for
2: use thank you yeah where they visit the uh gotham shop because i was like oh man that was kind of like a really deep um you know uh circling of how something that kind of like destroyed his life and made him who he is now is the one that's going to protect it i thought that was pretty deep but i really loved um you know that that tale between penguin and uh bruce wayne just because like i mentioned earlier it was just you know that kind of like you know power of wits like yeah i've always known that you were batman and i got one up on you and it's like no dude i still got one up on you so i thought that was like a pretty not only like a pretty uh hilarious storyline but it really like spoke to me about their character when i saw that um after i read it i was like oh man these are just like two businessmen trying to show off that they're the smarter one and so, and especially Penguin, who has like an ego about himself. Um, yeah, you you thought you had a trump card this whole time, and you got shot down again. So, okay.
1: So I want to say I hate you because then it's like I have to agree. This is that's the best story in this anthology too for me. Yeah, just, I mean, I, I I try to look at it like
2: aside from just artwork and um and 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 who my favorite artist or writer is like that one kind of really stuck with me for a while like thinking about it I was like man that was actually pretty clever
1: yeah it, it just kind of gets to me like what what I want to see in, in a batman story just batman being clever enough to just you know like even as like the his um his his um his villains are trying to like you know like get one over on him it's like no he's been one step ahead of them all this, this whole time it's like, that's, and that's really, that's really what I like. What I like to see, I want to see, like, you know, that my heroes are much smarter, than their villains, and this, and, like, at at the end of the day, that's what this, this story, it, that, that, that's what this story is about. Um, Just like, you know, the, the good guys putting one over on the bad guys, no matter how much, how hard they've worked, and, and it, and it feels earned as well, as well. So, yeah. and, like, John, I mean, it's like, so, so what are your thoughts like, I mean, you got any like favorite story about about like from this anthology as well?
0: Well, I haven't finished reading them all, so it wouldn't be fair for me to cast judgment on them uh, or to say, "Hey, this is the my favorite story so far." I guess I could say, um, uh, you know, um, I, uh, uh, I really don't have a favorite. I guess um, is the best way to put it. I I I generally like them all, um, even um, even uh, the ones that you guys criticize. However, I haven't like I said I haven't re- read the last few of them. So um, uh, maybe next time on the podcast I'll let you know.
1: Okay, I'll, if you don't, then they Myron is like we should come come down and get him then, right? Which is like go and beat it out of him, right? What uh, Texas? Yeah. Come on over. Yeah, give me, some, give, yeah.
2: me some, give me some cheap gas, dude. Well, oh, there's plenty of cheap uh, gas here. And, and we'll, <laughs> uh, we'll 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 beat, we'll, beat, we'll, beat, we'll beat the story out of you like which one's your favorite and give us
1: some cheap gas. Yeah. But, yeah, I will I will hold you to that, John. It's like, so I will, I will like, once we do our next, the next podcast, I will like tell you I, Yeah, and after you're done talking about like what about this latest this one like what was your favorite story from Comics 1000 motherfucker well sure,
0: man well speaking, speaking of, of which, which what but what is, are you going to be talking about next time
1: oh well let's see it's like i think things um assuming that um the secondhand hand deliveries from amazon work out um i'm going to talk about um like some of the not terrible stories from It's like from Kazuo Koike and um, Ryochi Ikami, who are best known for putting together like the only buried garbage of manga podcast I've done just for Wounded Men. But they've actually done some, allegedly done some good stories together, like such as I'm Crying Freeman, which I, and um, another story that I hope to talk about, assuming that the Amazon deliveries come, come through in time for this next podcast. So like I said, it's going to be about it's gonna be a crying Freeman next time, uh, in honor in honor of the late Kazuo Koike. and um so we'll so we'll see how that goes. All so, right, and um so so thanks for thanks for contributing to this one, and um you know it's like as soon as I think of something else that I think that like to invite you back for this you'll you'll be back right right away man i so definitely thank, I, thank, thank, thank you very much for your contributions to this man i
2: i definitely appreciate you having me here and i enjoyed talking about this because i felt that detective comics 1000 again was a wonderful uh, uh celebration of batman and a wonderful showcase um and as much as i kind of lean more towards the marvel side than i did towards the dc side um being able to uh go to WonderCon this year and being able to kind of experience what dc has in store uh for their characters have kind of really opened my eyes a bit more to kind of explore outside of the box and um uh, kind of touching base back on uh Detective Comics 1001, you know, there's an advertisement in there for which I didn't know what was coming out is Batman Turtles uh, three, so um, with with art from Kevin Eastman at one point too e- exactly so I. Gonna make sure I try to keep my eye out for that because I totally missed the uh, part two. I didn't. I didn't realize that they actually made a sequel, and I missed that whole thing. So I guess I'll
1: probably have to try to cop. You know, two okay, on paper, part paper. Part, like. part one was all right. It would have been better if the series had been released back in the nineties.
2: Um, you know what, dude? Like, you know, I'm i I have my affinity for the turtles and shit, and I'm a sucker for I like the turtles I just, too.
1: But you yeah. know, it's like I read the first all right original miniseries and it's like that, this that, This has been recent in the 90s it would have been great but as it
0: is right now it's okay Yeah, right. I mean, well hey thanks for joining us definitely and thank, thank and you guys thanks, for, for, thanks for thanks for coming by and uh, we look forward to the next time you come by and uh, we'll catch you next time on Comic Picks by the Glade
1: all right laters everyone good night